Alright, I'm going to start with us off with a short prayer and then we'll get right into it. So, if you don't mind joining me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray that as we come together this morning, the Lord, that you would reveal more of yourself to us. Lord, you are difficult and um, so awesome to comprehend. But Lord, we pray that you would give us just another glimpse of you, Lord, that we can come together to understand you more deeply, to find out who is this amazing God that we serve. In Christ's name we pray. So I want to start off us off with a story. I attended Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. And at my time there, I was just so blessed to be under a lot of great teachers. And there was this one professor that I took a class under. His name is John Golden Gay, and he taught Old Testament. And he raised this question to us, and he's from England, so he talked kind of like Adele. And he asked us, is the God of the Old Testament different from the God of the New Testament? Sorry, my bad English, <laughs> English accent. But, um, but he asked that question. And I had this mental picture in my head that the God of the New Testament was this awesome, loving God, full of compassion and mercy. And we saw this through the life of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. But then when I look at the Old Testament, I had this picture of a God who was angry and full of wrath. My mental picture of God would be a God who sits on a throne, on a cloud, who has a white beard holding lightning bolts ready to crush us if we messed up. So when he asked this question, it kind of like dawned on me, why do I have these two different views of God? Why... Why do I have these views where God seems so schizophrenic or bipolar? I don't think this is far off that the way most of us as believers think, as Christians. Well, he pointed out that in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those, those books are the good news to us. They tell us who Jesus is and reveals to us who God is. But then he went on to explain, if you look at the Old Testament, there's the first five five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This was their Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was their gospel. This was their good news. What made it good news? Because when I read it, I read something else different. Where was the good news in this? But he told us, when you read the Old Testament, instead of reading the words and seeing how what God says, take that into context, but also look at what did God do? Where was God present with his people? How did God show acts of love and mercy and kindness and grace throughout all the Old Testament that made this book, these five books, good news to them? See, the way we perceive God affects the way we perceive others. Because we view them as the image of God. So if we see a God that's wrathful, we will perceive other people the same way. And the way we perceive others affects the way we treat them. 
me say it one more way, one more time. The way we perceive God affects the way we perceive others. And the way we perceive others affects the way we treat them. So are you with me so far? See, this amazing lesson shifted my paradigm about this Old Testament God. So today we're going to visit a story from the Old Testament about the Hebrews' exodus out of Egypt. And how does that relate to the rejects are accepted here? Now in the book of Exodus, we have this amazing story. It's a story about Moses, who's a Hebrew, and his people who are in slavery in Egypt. Doesn't start off very well. These people were foreigners. They were slaves, outcasts, rejects. These were nobodies in the land of Egypt. They were, as they were viewed, they were no longer human beings. They were nobodies. They had no human dignity. They were just objects to be used by the government. So the Hebrews in the land of Egypt were abused, they were neglected, they were discriminated against. So as a slave, how would you understand God? Would you think God's for you? You're stuck in circumstance. See, the idea that they had about God's back then, and there were neighboring societies, so they all had their ideas about their different gods. Even Egypt had their own gods. They were polytheistic. But the gods stood with the victors. They stood with winners. We're slaves. Where is God in this situation? Did God abandon us? It would appear to them that God was probably not on their side. You know, many of us can relate to these people. Sometimes we all feel like rejects. We have tendencies to feel like, at times, man, I'm such a loser. I should be at this point in my life. I'm stuck here, and I thought I'd be doing more. What a loser. And we have these voices that talk to us and make us feel bad about ourselves. I mean, a lot of us experienced it. You know, even when we were young, we had bullies pick on us. We felt rejected. In high school, there was a girl that you really liked. And sometimes you were rejected by the one you fell in love with, that you were infatuated with. Many of us have been abused, have been neglected, have been hurt. We are all rejects in some way, way, shape, or form, whether we want to admit it out loud or not. You know, there was this time, uh, we moved, as we moved to Pasadena in 2010, um, this was my second trip to Pasadena. And I remember it was hard because the economy just went down. We were going through a recession. And, um, as we went over, our car engine block froze as we shifted from Hawaii to the mainland. So we had no car, I had no job, and the economy was bad. 
So I remember looking online and there was this one opening at the Sylvan Learning Center. So I applied for that position knowing that I have an education background. And it said all you needed was a couple years of college experience. So I applied for the position thinking that I could do this easily. I have experience. I taught five years in the education system. So I remember I applied. I went for the interview. And they said, great, we'd love to have you. You have to go through five weeks of training in Northridge. And we lived in Pasadena, which is 30 miles out. No car. So I remember, okay, in order to get this job, I'm going to have to invest something into it to get money back. So we decided, okay, we'll rent a car five days out of the, for the five trainings that we got to go to. So picked up the car, drove out to Northridge. The first day of training, I sat down, got there early just to, you know, show good face. Sat down and I was talking with the person who was going to train us that day. And he said, oh, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I gave him my name and uh, told him we moved here to, because my wife's attending Fuller, Pas Fuller at Pasadena. And I also went there too. And he said, oh, you know what? I, I go to another seminary too. So I thought, oh, great, we are going to connect. This is our connecting point. So as we were talking, um, well, after we talked, the training started. And I was the only Asian in that place at the time. The rest were Caucasian. And nothing wrong against Caucasian because I have some great Caucasian friends. A lot of my good friends at Fuller are Caucasian. So I, you know, but there was just this one particular instance where as we were going through the training, he said, okay, show me how you would do this. I showed him, and I thought I did it well. I thought I did it good enough. And he's like, okay, that was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was two other ladies with me. They were fumbling through the lesson. And then as soon as they were done, he was like, that was great. Keep this up. You know, you're doing really well. And he just started affirming them. And I was like, wait, what, wait, what, what just happened? I know I did it well. Then the next week, I attended it again, and there was a lady that was there that trained us that week, and she was, she was really affirming. She was, same thing, Caucasian, but she was really affirming, saying, oh, you did a great job in this, and, you know, affirming all of us. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I can do this. But for the next two weeks, the same guy came back. And every time I did the lesson, he would say, no, that wasn't good. You have to do it this way. No, that, you shouldn't be doing it that way. And I was like, what, what did I do wrong? You're not giving me feedback. You're just telling me I'm doing it wrong. Every time somebody else did it, they would fumble through the lesson, but he would affirm them. And this was the first time I faced blatant racism in my life, living here in Hawaii. I mean, we get little snide remarks of racism here, but it's not as bad. You know, this was blatant. And I remember going home and thinking, what is it about me that he doesn't like? What did I do wrong? And the feeling I felt was anger. And I was so upset. Just because I was rejected. That's the power of being rejected. Now as the story goes, we look and there's another character and it's Pharaoh. He's the winner in all of this. Because he's the ruler. Pharaoh wasn't just seen as another human being. He was seen as a type of deity. He was a, a representative of the Egyptian gods because that's why he's put in power. 
the gods must be with him. So it was fine by the gods that the Hebrews were enslaved by Pharaoh and by Egypt. So this slavery and oppression was endorsed by the gods. Pharaoh believed that the slaves had no God at all. Where must their God be? Come on, they're in this situation. God's on our side. Now, if you have your Bible, look with me in the Exodus story. It reads as such. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. The Lord saw that he had... Um, when the Lord saw that he had not turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard the cry of the account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. And to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. The cry of, of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Whenever you read a text and it starts repeating itself, it means that they're trying to emphasize something. It mentioned twice that God heard the cries of the people. That God has seen their circumstances. And that God is moved with compassion. He feels for them. He has clearly seen of Egypt. He hears the cries of injustice and he knows their pain. Now God takes Moses. And if we look at the story, who's Moses? Moses is just a shepherd. He himself is a regent. Because people didn't think very highly of shepherds. So God takes this regent and sends him to the most powerful man in Egypt. What an amazing image. Who 
sure that the people worship. It goes on to say that Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. They asked me, What is his name? They even forgot his name already. What shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's my God voice. This is what I want you to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This God cares about his people. And he wants to have a relationship from generation to generation. Now as we look at this, the word Lord um, in your English Bible is spelled with capital L-O-R-D. But in the Hebrew text, it's written this way. It's yod he va And they pronounce it, well, they weren't supposed to pronounce the name of the Lord, but we pronounce it Yahweh. That's why when we say hallelujah, hallelujah means praise. And we shorten the name for Yahweh to Yah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. This is the name of their God. So the rest, as the rest of the story goes, Moses confronts Pharaoh. And yet, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. He's like, no, you're not going anywhere. And I pro- he probably thought, why should I fear this God named Yahweh? He's only king, he's God of the slaves. I'm king of Egypt. I have the God of, our Egyptian gods behind me. So Pharaoh asks in verse 5, verse 2, Who is this God? Slaves, after all, had no heavenly protector. So after all this happened, Egypt endured 10 different plagues. The water turned to blood. There was a land full of bugs and wild animals and pestilence and boils, and hail, and locusts, and darkness, and death, even the death of their first son. So after enduring all of that, Pharaoh, Egypt and Pharaoh decides to let the Hebrew people go. God sends these things to him. And I often wondered, like, you know, if God was all-powerful, this is my, the question as I read the story, is like, God was all-powerful, why didn't he just, like, do it one time, bam, hit him one time, and then set him free? Why waste his time? Why does it take so long for him to show us, like, to set the people of Egypt free? Well, a rabbinic scholar, Fred Bo, um, 
Blumenthal states this, that the 10 plagues were therefore not merely a succession of events that made life miserable for the Egyptian population. They were also a demonstration of the Hebrew God's power and supremacy over all local deities. And if I could get the next slide. So this is what God was doing. The Egyptians had a polytheistic understanding. They had many different gods. And they had many different sacred animals. So what these rabbinic scholars are stating is that when God turned the Nile into blood, there was a God for the Nile, the God of the water. And he was powerless to do anything against what Yahweh was doing. When God turned the skies into darkness, the God of Ra was powerless to do anything that the God of Yahweh was doing. So in the process, God was showing his might and his power and his authority and his majesty to the people of Israel who cried out to God. This was unprecedented. A God who stands for those who are lonely, who hears the cries. He's not for the winners. He's for those who are hurting. He cares about his creation. This God, Yahweh, intervenes and embraces and accepts those who are lonely, those who are hurting, those who are considered rejects and strangers, and he hears their cries. He feels their pain. And not only that, he acts upon them. Now, some of you may be in a situation where you feel like you're going through a hard time. Why am I in this situation? Where are you, God, in this situation? Where are you? Why aren't you in my, in my life? What are you doing? Why did you let this happen to me? Don't you hear me? Don't you hear my cries? Help me. But just remember this, that God hears your cries. He sees your pain. And he is moved with compassion. You are accepted. This God stands up. Now, if you read later on in Deuteronomy, it always, there's always this phrase that gets brought up. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. He doesn't want us to forget this story, this good news, this God that stands up for the weak and the feeble and the hurting. And he, he gives us something to do because of that. And he says, take care of the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Take care of those who are powerless, who are in need, who need help. You know, this past week, um, on February 23rd, 
I was watching M- uh, the NBA on TNT, and then I saw Kristen Lillow. She was interviewing LeBron James, and she had this red X on her hand. And I was wondering what that was about. So I looked online. What is that about? And it just so happened on that day, it was Slavery Awareness Day, that we should bring an end to the modern-day slavery. And many of us, we've been hurting, and God has answered our prayers and our cries. But there's many out there 